talking about getting it done. And uh, for those who haven't been with us, we've been on a, a journey over the last three years, bumped a little bit by this little thing called COVID, but we've been working at trying to get after this mission that God has put in front of us. And so we're kind of refocusing our efforts here in this season as we think about one more year that we have to get her done. And so our Bible reading this morning is just a, a small section of what, was, what we read together last week. It really has been the focus, if you will, the focus verses of this campaign. And it's found in 2 Corinthians 8. And we're going to read verses uh, 10 and 12. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, and here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. And now, finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Paul is pretty clear here. What we start, we need to finish. What we start, we need to finish. And as I said in the words of Larry, the campaign guy, we need to do what, Orchard Hill? We need to get her done. That's right, we need to get her done. That's what Paul is focusing at here in chapters 8 and 9. He's saying, finish the work as he writes to the church in Corinth. The situation is this, that there was a famine happening in the land of Israel. Down in the area of Palestine at this time, there was a drought, and it was causing severe food shortages. So people were hungry. People were without jobs. People were without resources. Many of them were destitute. And so Paul who saw that going on down there in the church of Jerusalem said, I'm going to go to the Gentile churches that I have planted and I'm going to ask them for their resources, for them to take an offering, for them to give so that their brothers and sisters down here in Jerusalem are able to continue to live and they can help alleviate their suffering. And so when Paul put this before those churches, the first church to step up was the church in Corinth and they were there, like we're here, we'll do it. We'll give, in fact, right now, let's just take a little offering and, and here you go, here's some offering and we'll take more. We will continue to give and uh, we will give our offering so that those folks will not go hungry and will be blessed. But it's been a year later and still no offering has been given. The need is still there, but the church hasn't really come through. They were eager on the front end. They were willing on the front end but now in this little period in the middle, they kind of like dropped off. And so Paul is coming to them and he says quite clearly to them, he says, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. Have you ever found yourself in that situation where you were eager and willing to do something but then just didn't quite get it done? I have about maybe five or six of those projects around my house right now. There is a, uh, you may wonder what it is, but it's a, uh, gonna be a stellar bocce ball court on the side of my house that right now just looks like dirt. And I probably have a, uh, right now sitting in my Shutterfly account, a theater uh, photo album 
that needs to be finished. Downstairs on my project table is a historically accurate nativity scene. None of them are complete. None of them are, are done. Oh, thank you for throwing me under the bus even more. Uh, in the backyard is my gnome garden with a fountain. That's in the backyard. That's true. Anything else that the family wants to get out of their system this morning? Here's the chance. I quite often have this eager willingness to do something, and then I get started, and it's like, now what's the effort that's going to take? And then it's like, it just dies out. And that's exactly what this Get Her Done campaign has been about. As we think about it as a church, that God has put a mission in front of us. And we are striving to make sure that we finish this mission. Because over 25 years ago, there was a group of people who had this incredible vision from God. And the vision was that here in the center of Walker, on 45 acres on this hill, we could build a ministry hub. We could build a ministry center where the good news of Jesus Christ would shine like a light on the hill. And they were eager. And they were willing to do it. And they gave the money to purchase the land. They developed plans to build a facility. They raised the money to start building the facility. They designed new and innovative programs to share the gospel. But as that time went on, we started becoming comfortable. We just like our pew. We can come to it every Sunday morning. We know it's there. I, don't, I sit in the same one every week, week in and week out. It's there. And the service will come, and that's good. I can have a little cup of coffee, and I can walk out, and I'm good. In fact, now I can even sit on my couch at home and watch the worship service. I don't even have to come, and I'm still part of Orchard Hill Church. Every once in a while, I could bring a, a bag in and be involved in some ministry, but, you know, it's really up to me. And we just start going through the motions because it gets comfortable, because it's easy. And we forget about the mission that is before us. And that is just not unique to Orchard Hill. I'm not just, I'm just not, you know, trying to throw any shade on us this morning. It is the Church of Jesus Christ. If you look at this picture here, it is what is called a bell curve. And this is the, the life cycle of a church. You can see at the very beginning they launch, and then there's momentum, and then they grow. And then they're so excited to grow, and they have this sustained health. But then we hit that moment that I just talked about where we become comfortable and we like our friends and we start consuming and we start letting the church just start meeting my needs instead of me being there as a church that's on mission to be a light on the hill. And then the church starts to die and heads towards death. And researchers tell us that that life cycle is about 40 years in the life cycles of churches. And right now, Researchers tell us that 80% of churches in America are dying. They're on the bottom of that curve. Why? Because they're not getting it done. Why? Because they lost that eagerness. They lost that willingness. And that's why they say there's such a movement to go into church planting. Because when you plant the church, you're all excited. You're willing and eager. And we know it's going to die off in 40 years. So don't even mess with a 40-year-old church. Don't even mess with a 25-year-old church. You cannot turn them around. They're just going to die because the people are no longer eager and willing. They're no longer willing to match that, what started, to get it done. 
And I say, that's not going to be Orchard Hill. I say, we're going to turn that around. What if our, what if our it could look like this instead? That we launch, we have health, we have growth. Because, friends, that is who we are, are we not? Jesus says the power of hell cannot stand against us. So why would we die? We should bring victory. We should be able to say to any mountain move. We should be able to bring the presence of the kingdom of God any place, and we should be able to continue to grow because we serve a risen Savior who won the victory. And he now sits on the right hand of God and says, bring my kingdom. Let my kingdom come. Let my will be done. This should be our curve. But the church is not getting it done. And so I just want to speak into that this morning. And I just want us to consider how is it that we can continue to keep our eagerness and our willingness to get it done. How do we sustain that? So that it not only goes... 10 years, 15, 20, 40 years, but it continues to breathe the life and becomes what the, what the body of believers is about. How do we do that? The first thing I think we have to do is we have to own the mission. We have to own the mission. This thing that we are doing here is Orchard Hill Church and this campaign that we're focusing on, Get Her Done, was not something that was just conceived in the mind by a uh, unrealistic pastor or by the leadership of the church, but rather this, this idea of get it done and this mission that we have before us is the mission of the church. It is the mission of Jesus Christ. And for everybody who puts their, their name on the line and says, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, this mission that we have put before you is not just it's not just a mission that you can choose to accept or choose to ignore the items that we put out there are not like items on a buffet at golden corral that you can decide uh yeah i'll have a little bit of that and a little bit of this Ooh, i don't want any of that or maybe i don't want to show up there all together it's not a buffet that you can just choose and pick and take what you want. It is the very mission of Jesus Christ that you agreed to when you said, I'm going to follow Jesus. We need to own the mission. The sad reality is that many believers today have sliced off and are living into a, what I would call a truncated gospel just a portion of the gospel. And we believe in the plan of salvation. I believe in that. That's the gospel, the plan of salvation, that God sent Jesus into the world. Jesus was born. He lived his life. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose again. I now put my faith in him. And the good news of Jesus is that I am saved today. I am saved, period. I don't have to worry anymore when Jesus comes again. I get to go to heaven. And that's the gospel that we believe in. It's the good news of Bob. It's the good news of Dave. It's the good news of Mary. It's the good news of Sue. It is that's the good news that we believe in. But friends, that is not the good news. It's not. That is not the complete good news of what Jesus came to do and yet many of us have just sliced it off and believe in that little sliver of it 
If you have your Bibles, notice how Jesus modifies the good news. Luke 4, 43. Luke 4, 43. We're going to hit a few passages here. Luke 4, 43. Jesus comes and he says, this is what I must do. I must proclaim the good news of what? The kingdom of God. Thank you. Is anybody else reading or just Rob? <laughs> I were, Jesus says, I have come to proclaim the good news of what? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. That's exactly right. That's how Jesus modifies it. Look at Luke 8, 1. Luke 8, verse 1. It says, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to, the num to another, proclaiming the good news of what? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Mark 1, 14. Mark 1, 14, this is right after when Jesus is beginning his ministry. It's right after his baptism and testing. And it says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into the Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The what kingdom The kingdom of God has come and be near. Repent and believe the good news. Are you beginning to see a pattern here? Matthew 4, 17. Matthew 4, 17. From that time on, it says, uh, Matthew 4, 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And we see that this was, this was embodied by the followers of Jesus. If you look at Colossians 4, verse 11, Colossians 4, verse 11. When he's referring to those who are following uh, Jesus Christ, notice how we reference him. He says, Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends his greetings in, in Colossians 4.11. And these are the only Jews among my co-workers who were co-workers for the kingdom of God. They're working for the kingdom of God. We look at Acts chapter 8, verse 12. Acts 8, verse 12. This is when Philip is doing his ministry. Acts 8, verse 12. It said, and he followed, uh, let's see, 8, 12. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God. All right, did we beat this into your head this morning here? I would suggest to you as you read through the scriptures that you will always see that the good news is not about the good news of Bob. It's not about uh, the good news of Steve. It's not about the good news of Marianne. It's the good news of the kingdom of God. But we break it down into just this little sliver and say it's just the plan of salvation. But Jesus had something much more mo monumental to do. He wanted to bring in the kingdom of God. That's why God sent Jesus Christ. So that he said, repent the kingdom of God. Now that Jesus is here, the kingdom of God is at hand. 
I am going to bring what's done on earth under the reign of God. And I'm going to usher in into this sin-filled and into this broken world. I'm going to start now bringing in what it looks like for the kingdom of God to own this rather than for the enemy to own this. And Jesus, and the plan was that Jesus would then turn and he would gather those who would follow him. He would redeem them. He would make them holy because they couldn't follow him unless they were holy. They couldn't be part of the kingdom of God unless they were right with God. And so Jesus, by his sacrifice on the cross, made them holy, not just so that one day they would be in heaven with him, but so that they could follow him. They could follow him as his disciples. They could follow him as his ambassadors in this world, representing the kingdom of God, to be the hands and feet and follow him in bringing the kingdom of God into the world. He calls it the church, the ecclesia, the set-apart ones. In the day that we say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, yes, I receive salvation. Why? So that I'm made right and pure with God, so that I can be an ambassador of Jesus Christ representing the kingdom. I'm a child of God. And as a child of God, I am now here giving witness to what this kingdom of God looks like. Going to every corner of this kingdom to show what the redemption of the kingdom of God looks like. That's who we are. And so if you're having trouble getting it done, maybe you need to own the mission. Maybe you need to actually ask yourself, am I a follower of Jesus Christ? Because a follower of Jesus Christ owns the mission because that is who we are. Do you own the mission? Because when you own the mission, you have no problem giving generously because I want to I see that happen. When I own the mission, I'm going to serve because that's what my life is about. When I own the mission, I'm going to be reaching out because that's what I was told to do by Jesus who said, go into all the world. And I am certainly going to be on my knees praying because I know that without him, I can do nothing. Do you own the mission? Not only do we own the mission, I think we need to see the mission. Isn't that right, Simon? <laughs> Amen from Simon. We need to see the mission. He, you know, he's here, all, he comes in on Monday and he just babbles all day long. And if you ask him, you go, Simon, who's your favorite pastor? He goes, Bob, Bob. <laughs> just saying, that's what he does. Love that little boy. You need to see the mission, all right? You need to see the mission. If, you're, if you want to grow your desire and you want to grow your willingness to be part of the kingdom, I think you need to envision what the kingdom of God can look like in the world around you. They go hard on this in the business world. In the business world, they say you got to let your vision drive you forward. In fact, Steve Jobs said this. He says, if you're working on something you really care about, you don't have to be pushed. The vision pulls you. The vision pulls you. And friends, I think we need to see the picture of what the kingdom of God can look like around us. And that's the beautiful thing about this revelation that we have before us. In Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, we have where God entered into the world and where Jesus said, I am coming now and bringing my kingdom. 
And we need to read the Gospels. We need to read the Word so that we have a vision of what this kingdom of God can look like. So when we look at this world, we match up this world with what Jesus was bringing into the world. We say, these two things don't match up. And because I am one who is following Jesus, I'm going to aim so that things look like this. And we see this in Jesus' life over and over again, the kingdom of God breaking in. The people would walk down the street and they, you know, they would see a blind man and Jesus would say, you know what, that's not, I'm going to bring, I'm going to give sight to this man. And then before long, the people are walking around, they're like, wait a minute, wasn't that the guy who used to sit along the road? Wasn't he the one who sat along the road and begged for all these years? Well, what would happen to him? The kingdom of God is what happened to him. That's what happened to him. Remember when they went over in the boat and Jesus met this demonic man in the tombs who was cutting himself, who chains couldn't even hold him? He was out of his mind, he was naked, and he was spitting all over the place, and then the people showed up, and it says they came and they saw the man sitting there in his right mind, clothed, and they were like, wait a minute! Isn't this the guy who used to live in amongst the tombs and scream and holler and keep us awake at night? What happened to him? The kingdom of God happened to him. Lazarus was in a tomb. They were mourning and crying over Lazarus. The next thing they knew, Lazarus came out of the tomb. What's going on? How can, how can Lazarus be coming out of the tomb? What's going on? Why is, he was dead. What happened? It's the kingdom of God. Who is this that the wind and the waves obey him? It's the kingdom of God. Over and over again, the scriptures show us what it looks like when the kingdom of God breaks in. Do you see it? Do you see it around you? When you look at that coworker, when you look at that neighbor, when you see the injustice on the news, when you see the brokenness in the world around them, do you look at it and then look at it with kingdom eyes, the kingdom eyes that made Jesus weep because he knew that's not how it was in the kingdom of God. And then we look at it and we see how it could be different in the kingdom of God, how that marriage could be brought back together and the people could love one another. How those people no longer have to be homeless and they can have food and they can have a home surrounding them in the kingdom of God. That no longer does there have to be bitterness and rage between the races, but they can be together in the kingdom of God. Do you see it around you? Because we say, how can that happen? What is going on? It's the kingdom of God breaking in. And when I see that, it moves me forward. And I see that, I begin, what does the psalmist say? You taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. I tasted it. And I don't know about you, when I taste something, it's good. and it's good, and it's sitting in my kitchen, do you know how often I get up out of my chair during a football game to go get it? A lot. <laughs> I taste and I see it, and it is good. And so I go get it, and I go after it, because that's the kingdom of God breaking in. You have that vision? I just encourage you to get in the Word. Begin to pray for the world around you, that you would have eyes to see, because when you have eyes to see the world as God, God sees it, you will be generous to give your resources so that you can usher in the kingdom of God. You'll give your time to serve because you want to bring in that kingdom of God because that's your mission, right? You're going you're to reach out to those that are broken, that those are hurting, those that need love because that's your mission. You want to you reach them because it's the kingdom of God. You see that vision before you? Let that drive you forward. 
not only do we need to own the vision and see the vision, I think we also need to unclutter the vision. We need to unclutter the vision. Uh, yesterday, uh, we had, because we had somebody come to stay at our house, we had a little cleaning frenzy going on in our house yesterday. And there was on top of our, uh, uh, one of our side tables were like uh, three remotes. And it's like, well, we got to put these remotes away. Where do these remotes go? They should go in the remote drawer, right? Which is right just below. You keep the remotes in the drawer. And you need the remote, you pull it out, change channel, put it back in the drawer. In theory. So we said, well, put the remote, we can put the remotes back in the remote drawer. But you know what happens if you open up the remote drawer? There's no room for the remotes. No room for the remotes because there's a, a rag in there that I got to clean off the iPad with. Uh, there's a few snack wrappers that, are, that made their way in there that, that were um, hidden, hidden away uh, in the drawer. Uh, there's a cat, some cat toys in there. Uh, a mail that we didn't want to deal with uh, inside that drawer. Maybe some paper clips and rubber bands in there. Some chapstick was in that drawer. Do you have a drawer like that at home where you go to something and you go, this is what I need to get. I know it's here. I know this is where it's located, but no longer is it there because the rest of the drawer is filled with so much clutter and stuff. And that's exactly what happens in our lives. That's what happens to us. Because we, we own the mission. We say, this is what my life is about. I am to seek first the kingdom of God because I'm following Jesus Christ. That's who I am. That's what my life is about. But what happens? Clutter comes into our life, doesn't it? It gets us off track. We start putting into our lives our work schedule, our priority to get, get our work done, to make sure that we can punch the hours of the clock, and then we got to earn enough money, and so then when we earn, we got to work to earn enough money, and then we buy ourselves lots of things, and then we have to take care of all those things, and pretty soon that clutter is taking out. I got to make sure that my kids are doing well, and they got to be in this sport activity, and they got to be on this academic team, and they got to be invested. And so pretty soon, my life, well, I'm supposed to seek first, but I'm moving after where all my kids are going. And of course, I got to enjoy myself, and so my weekend is filled with pleasure, and it's filled with, with fun, and our life gets cluttered up in that way. And we can just continue to go on all the ways that we clutter up our lives so that pretty soon we don't have the ability to be about the mission of God because there's so much clutter in it. We filled our lives with everything but what we're supposed to be about. We're supposed to be followers of Jesus Christ, living on mission, getting it done, but we're not because we've got all this other clutter around us. And what does the Apostle Paul say about that clutter we have around us? He says, throw it all off. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. And that's what maybe some of us need to do this morning if we say, well, I'm not all that eager, I'm not all that willing to get at the mission. It very well could be easy that if I open up your mission of Jesus Christ drawer, the mission of Jesus Christ is not even in there. Your life is it's filled with everything but the mission of Jesus Christ. There were some in Luke uh, chapter 14... Jesus gives a, par a little parable about this, Luke chapter 14. It's couched in the uh, idea of a banquet. Because a banquet was always uh, a symbol of the kingdom of God because it was rich and it was full and there was lots there and it was good time and in that age that really meant a lot. 
And so they're talking about the kingdom of God being like a banquet, says Jesus. The kingdom of God is like a banquet. Luke 14, verse 16 says, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And at that time of the banquet, he sent a servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses because they had too much clutter. They couldn't come to the banquet because they had too much clutter going on in their life. The first one said, well, I just bought a field and I must go see it. Please, please excuse me. That field is really important. I don't know if it'll be there tomorrow. Uh, the field might go somewhere. Uh, so, but I, I have to go check it out today so I can't come to the banquet. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. So please excuse me. I got to get to work. I got to see if the, these, this new possession will, will be good. If it, I got to see on that. Still another said, well, you know, Jesus, I just got married, so I can't come, if you know what I mean. And uh, none of them could come. And notice what Jesus says in verse 24. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. They're not going to taste the banquet. They're not going to be a part of the kingdom of God because they're throwing up too many excuses. And we may think that we're part of the kingdom of God. We may think that we're, that we're, that we're all about this. And the reality is Jesus says, no, you're not, you're not going to taste it because you're not, you're not following me. You're not owning the mission. You're not seeing the mission. You're not committing to the mission because you've got too many things cluttering it up. I think it's very sad. It's like me declaring. Uh, I had a conversation with somebody the other day, and, and they said, uh, well, yeah, you know what? I, I'm a pickleball player. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know what? So am I. I'm a pickleball player too. And they said, oh, yeah, when, when, uh, when do you play pickleball? And I'm like, well, you, you know, I really haven't played in a while. It's been a, it's been a long time been a long time. Do you go on Saturday? Well, no, I don't really go on Saturday mornings and play. I, I haven't played in a long time, but, but uh, I got to tell you, I got a great paddle. Beautiful paddle. It is awesome. Uh, well, where do you go? When you do go, where, where, where do you go? Well, I don't really have a, a regular place that I go to uh, to play pickleball, but I got to tell you, uh, I have an awesome uh, bag that I keep my equipment in. It looks really, it, it's awesome. It's cool because I'm a pickleball player, a pickleball player. And uh, they're like, uh, oh, yeah, or, you know, would you like to come play uh, maybe uh, today? I can get, make some time to go, oh, no, 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 I can't, I can't go play today. Uh, I want to do my knees a little tweaky, and I can't play uh, pickleball uh, today. But I watch videos on YouTube. I watch videos on YouTube. I'll do that. And you know what? I'll put on my uh, Beer City uh, Open uh, pickleball shirt so people will know that I'm a pickleball player, right? <laughs> you see what's going on in that story? Everybody wants to look at it and go, you are not a pickleball player in any way, shape, or form because you don't go, you don't show up on the court, you don't, you don't do anything, right? I just want to say that that's the way the church is today. I hate to say it. We say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm living on mission with Jesus. But when we look at our lives... We're not owning the mission. We're not engaged in the mission. We're not following Jesus in mission. I'm not sure we even believe that the kingdom of God is better than what's on the world. I mean, when we stood at the beginning and we were like, King of heaven, come down. King of heaven, come down. Do we actually believe that? My goodness, isn't that the greatest thing that we could ever declare? Right now, God, bring your kingdom down. 
Change this sin-filled world. Turn it around. Turn me around, God. Because we want the goodness of your kingdom right here, right now in this place, and we know it's oh so much better than this world. That's what we need to be about. That's who we need to be, but I'm afraid that the church is not. And so I want to push on you a little bit today, church. I want to push into your clutter. I want to push into your apathy. I want to push into your vision. I want to push in to your commitment and really ask you, are you committed to getting it done? Are you committed? Hebrews 12 says to us, this is what we need to do. We need to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We do it, perseverance, we continue on. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he's the author. This word says pioneer. He's the one who gave us our faith. And we fix our eyes on Jesus. That's how we live our lives. With perseverance, with my eyes fixed on Jesus, living on mission, following him, bringing the kingdom into the world, living as his ambassador, being light, being salt for God in this world. That's who I am. I fix my eyes on him, seek first the kingdom of God. I store up for my heart treasures in heaven. That's who I am because he's not only the, the pioneer and the author, but it says he's the perfecter, the completer, the finisher of the faith. How do we finish? How do we get it done? We keep our eyes on Jesus and we keep following him day after day after day with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind and with all my strength until that very last breath is gone. And then I'll be able to experience the kingdom of God in its fullness in heaven. And then on that glorious day again when Jesus returns, to bring it here on earth in its fullness. That's who we are, church. Let's not be a church that dies on a bell curve, but let's be a church that lives into who we are and that we're committed to making sure we get it done. God, we thank you for your words. We thank you for calling us. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for giving us life and for giving us breath and giving us a purpose. And God, I just want to ask right now that you would help us to, to, to be doers of your word, to reflect on what we've heard coming out of your word, and we would make those changes in our life, God, so that we could be a part of your kingdom. That's who we are, is your church. And God, for all the ways that we have settled for all the ways that we have become apathetic, for all the ways that we have just really turned our back on you, and we ask your forgiveness. We ask that you would restore us. We ask that again we would hear that call in a fresh way. Again, we ask that your spirit would touch our spirits to ignite within us a flame and a passion for what, what you can do in and through this world. God, we pray for Orchard Hill for all of those who call Orchard Hill home, that we would be a faithful church, faithful to your mission, faithful to your causes, and that we would be a church that at the end of the day, we were able to get her done. Pray these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, folks, let's get on our feet.
And let's uh, commit ourselves to getting it done as we are going to sing.